I hope this is an encouraging one as well. This is from the 66th chapter of the Psalter, the hymn book of the Jewish people, verses 16 to 20. Let's read this together, shall we? Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he's done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened, and he has heard my prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Is that a great passage? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we love you. We ask God that the word of God would go out, that we would remember the Jewish uh, cycle of uh, feasts that we're in because they demonstrate who you are and they demonstrate the plan that you have for us as your people. Bless your word, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said with me, please. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated, please. Uh, many thanks to Robert Walter uh, from Chosen People Ministries. If those of you uh, who were here, uh, I was able to listen to Robert's message this week. And uh, he's just a wonderful speaker. And uh, God has a passion placed on him for especially the Orthodox, the Hasidic uh, Jewish people in Brooklyn. I'm thankful that he talked about the cycle of God because we are in that most important feast system, the Jewish calendar. Tomorrow does start uh, the high holy days of Israel. Uh, it's the beginning of the Jewish month called Tishri. It is that holy seventh month. Uh, it's the beginning of the last three feasts. Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. Yam Toruah, Yam, uh, Yam Kippur, and Sukkot. Those are the three main fall feast holidays that are going to be coming our way. It's important for us as believers to know about this month because, as Robert said last week, this is the, the, the month that we celebrate the coming of the King, uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, His coming. We celebrate the king humbly coming as our high priest on the day of atonement. And we celebrate the king coming and dwelling with us forever on the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. Uh, there are those who describe that as Jesus' first coming. And I would wholeheartedly agree with that. However, I think the significance post-cross is not on the first coming but on the second coming. Because I think all three of those feasts fit the second coming, the parousia, the great coming of Jesus Christ back into this world again. So we shout once again, the king is coming, parousia. He's coming not this time to atone for the sins. He's already done that. What is he coming the second time for? I'm just diverting a little bit. Yom Kippur is, is a reminder that Jesus Christ paid for our sins, but it is a reminder that in His second coming, the Jewish people will see Him as He is. They will see the marks in His hands and the, the piercing in His side, and they will cry as one cried for the death of an only son. They will mourn because they knew they missed it the first time around. And they will recognize Jesus finally as the Messiah of of the one true God. And then that one true God, Yeshua, will come 
in his coming, he will remain and stay. That's Sukkot. That's the tabernacle. That's coming our way, church. That's the great fall festival plan. And that's why it's so important for us to pay attention to this seventh month and these last spiritual feasts. Well, the spiritual calendar of Israel actually begins in Nisan. That's the Jewish month. It's actually for us March, April, sometimes a little bit of February, but mainly in March, April itself. It was actually established in Exodus chapter 12 and 1. It is the establishment of the calendar of the Jewish people itself. Uh, Exodus 12 and 1 is the beginning of the Passover. It's uh, Jesus giving the instructions about waiting for the new moon to be established. That's why Yom Teruah is always celebrated on two days because they don't know what. They don't know which day it is. So people traveling on a new moon are not sure when to celebrate the new moon festival. They can't see it. So it's a two-day celebration or a two-day examination of, of the king coming. That's why Jesus can say to you, I do not know what the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, but only the Father knows these things. Jesus, of course, knew it in his divinity, but he was speaking from his humanity. So there's a day that's going to be coming. It does not, however, mean that we should not know the season. We need to know the timing of Christ's coming. And as Paul and the other apostles said so eloquently, your salvation is nearer now than it was before. And that's just a timing truth. And so we need to rejoice as we think about those types of things. This is a spring feast. The calendar up front where the full moon comes. Uh, the Jewish scholars believe that the calendar of creation is the model for this. If you remember Genesis chapter 1, God begins to create and then he says, and there was evening and morning the first day. Do you see how backwards that is for us? But I love that because it says what? The Jewish people start their day out with rest. Not work. Work is the back half of the Jewish holiday. They begin their Shabbat, Friday night at 6 o'clock or sundown, and that's their new day. And how do they begin it? They begin it with rest. They begin it with food and fellowship. The exact thing that Jesus desires to give us when he comes. I find that amazing. I wish we could get our, our Western clocks oriented that way. It also was set against the sun god of the Egyptians. That's why uh, the Jewish people follow a lunar system and not a solar system. We're on a solar Gregorian calendar. That's why we have 365 days. You need to pay attention to that because when you look in the scriptures and you look at how many years, the year is not 365. The year is, anybody have a guess? Anybody know? 360 so for those of you in my revelation study, when it talks about years, times, times and a half, uh, you need to pay attention. That's not a 365 year, that's a 360. And so the, year, the days are different. So just pay attention to that as you move through that. It was a feast of trumpets. It's also called that. Uh, Yam Toruah means day of blowing. 
Yom is day. Teruah is the blowing or the blowing of the shofar, the blowing of the trumpets. Trumpets or shofar called people to assemble. They called them to war. It tells them that something is starting, something that's something beginning. And I like all three of those because I think all three of those fit that day. Assemble, a war, and a call to something new. I think that's exactly what Yam Torua or Rosh Hashanah or whatever word you want to put in there, the head of the year. Yam Kippur or Yam Kippur, Yam Torua or Rosh Hashanah, the day we celebrate today, is the beginning of the secular calendar. So Exodus 12:1, March, April, is the beginning of the spiritual calendar. Today or tomorrow, Yam Torua, uh, Rosh Hashanah, is the day beginning of the secular calendar. So you have two different calendars that are moving in the Jewish system. This is the seventh month spiritually. That's where that begins in Exodus 12 and Exodus 12. Robert did a good job of talking to you about the connection with announcing the presence of the king, but I want to do something different. I want to talk to you about how to prepare your heart for that because that is exactly what this day and the next 10 days, by the way, is all about. Yom Kippur is 10 days after Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah. But I want to give you three words to look at real quick as we move through that. The Jewish people look at the last three feast days this way. The first is judgment. So Yom Teruah is judgment. Yom Kippur is appeasal or sacrifice. And then Sukkot, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, is better judgment. So a judgment is going to happen and it's going to be probably a terrible one, you get yourself cleaned up, you repent of things, there's an appeasing of God, and you're hoping that God relents and gives you a better judgment. Did that make sense? That's how that works. Unfortunately for the Jewish people, it's all based on works. It's everything they do. It's, this is the year that they do good things. It's where they give alms and they're very generous with people. They go back and try to make things right. Why? They're trying to care for this by doing this in hopes of this. And by the way, I don't know if you know it as a follower of Christ. How much good works can you do to make yourself right with God? None. That's why that system is so terrible. It's a works-based system that says, you just do this. And God's saying, sorry, that doesn't work. It's still tainted. And you can appeal to me and appease me all you want, but it's not going to cover you. It's not going to wash you. And it's not going to bring you a better judgment. That whole thing is is a lie in a system that we need to uncover, especially for our Jewish um, friends and neighbors. What do I mean by this? Well, beginning tomorrow at at 10, the Jewish teaching says that God is going to determine whether a person should live or die next year. How about that for being serious? God is going to determine whether you live or die. God is going to determine whether you prosper or whether you fail. God is going to determine your health, whether you rise or whether you lie. God is going to determine that with you for the next 10 days. That's what the Jewish tradition says. All right? This period is called the days of awe or yamin norayim. 
yamin noraim, the days of awe or wonder. It's a self-reflection type of thing. It's also called the 10 days of repentance. I think Bobby, uh, Robert gave you that word, tashuva. Uh, the root word on that is shuv. It means, um, it means to repent. It means to turn around. The way you remember that in English from Hebrew, shuv, take the long U and make it short, and you'll have the picture. Anybody give me the word? Shove. Do you, have, do you see that? That's what that means. It, uh, uh, shuv means to, to turn around, to go a different direction, and that's what that image for me clicks in my mind when I think about that. Tashuva, day of repentance, day of turning, day of changing your mind. That's what that means. So within the next 10 days, Yam Turua gives or pushes a person internally to turn around, to repent, to make things right with others, to make the, 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 the offense, uh, to care for an offense, no matter what it is. It truly is a, a matter of life and death per their tradition. Now, in connection and not separate, because we like to separate these three feasts out as if they are distinct. They're not. They run into each other. So the next feast we're going to be heading into in two weeks, the Day of Atonement, is the day of appealing to God to forgive their sins, the sins that they've revealed, have been revealed through prayer and the study of the Torah. By the way, it's a deeper reading of the Old Testament, especially the first five books. It's an appeal to give them a good year, which then the Feast of Tabernacles exclaims from God in some mystical way, well, of course I'm going to give you a good year. You've turned, you've repented, you've done, the, you've done good things, you've been very generous to other people. How can I not reward you by giving you a good year? That's a terrible system, isn't it? Yeah. Outside of just doing good things, which is always good. Yeah, I will give you a good year. I will be in your midst. I'll give you prosperity now that you've repented and come back to the word of God. Judgment, appeal to a better judgment because of what I have done, not what God has done. And that will then, of course, lead naturally to the, to the next Sukkot, the tabernacles, where God is now bound because of what I've done to now grant me a good year. It's just totally unbiblical, but it is part of the tradition. What's that have to do with us? Well, it has everything to do with us because Yam Teruah, uh, the, the day of blowing, is in the scriptures. And it's not a Jewish feast. It's the Lord's feasts. It's God's. And so we have to pay attention to that as a follower of Christ in preparation for our own heart as the king comes. And so I want to do that, if, you, if I could, please. It'd be helpful if I actually turned this on, wouldn't it? My gosh, I had a beautiful picture that you could have been meditating on through that whole thing, too. So um, let's look at Leviticus 23, 24, and 25. It says this, Say to the Israelites, on the first day of what month, church? Uh, month of Tishri, seventh month, you are to have a day of Shabbat, of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly uh, commemorated with Trumpet blast, shofar blast, or ram's horns. Do no regular work and present a food offering to the Lord. The feast itself is very vague, which is why it has so much tradition that surrounds it. 
It simply says that we are to rest, do no work, gather to worship, to commemorate the day by blowing shofars and trumpets, and to have fellowship. Uh, that food offering is not a burnt or guilt offering. It is a fellowship type offering where you offer a portion of it to the Lord, but then you take the rest back and you celebrate that with your family. Uh, that would be what that offering in particular is talking about. The, the Jewish rabbis um, find this very important. They look at the fact that we are not told why we should do this feast. The purpose is not in it. We are told in Yom Kippur because of the covering, the blood covering uh, that takes place for the nation of Israel. We're told in Sukkot, uh, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, that they're to remember their wanderings in the wilderness. That's why they go have, in, have booths and they can look up and see the stars. They hang fruit around their tent. So those two have purposes. This one does not. And it's led the rabbis uh, to believe that there's a deeper mystery here. It is a feast of searching the silence out. It is a feast for searching the silence out. Why have you gathered us here together, God? What is it that we should know? What is it that we should know about ourselves? What is it that we should know about our community? What is it that we should know about our nation? What is it that we should know about you? All these questions that enter into the silence. What is it that we need to turn from or turn to? Oh God, hear our prayer. And the irony is that the noise of the trumpets represents the cries of a silent, reflective heart. Cries where there are no words. A realized grief that shuts down the vocabulary simply groaning with the Holy Spirit through prayer. Does that make sense, church? So when I think about this day, I hear a lot of noise. And the noise is so loud that you can't hear yourself think. And so there needs to be something that comes deep within, something within the soul, the spirit that rises up and cries out in silence in the midst of all of the noise. Something is going up before God. How many of you know the discipline of silence is one of the hardest disciplines? It's hard because we have to get honest before God. It's a call to find out once again our original design and then confess how far we've strayed from that design. Yam Teruah, the king is coming. Prepare yourself. Know yourself. What is it about you that needs to be turned that needs a shove, that you need to go someplace else so that you can be better prepared to receive the king when he comes. Well, there's a parable that Jesus, that Jesus, that the Jewish rabbis taught and do teach every year, uh, once again, not only to their children, but also to those who are in fellowship around the table that communicate the original designer or the original status of of, uh, of humanity. And I've taken the liberty to conform it to those of us who are followers of Jesus. A king took a royal hike in the royal forest. 
He went out to enjoy nature, to watch the deer and the birds and all the creatures of his royal kingdom play. But eventually, he found himself royally lost. Without a clue to find the royal highway that takes you straight back to the palace. He saw some villagers and he asked them, excuse me, do you, do you know the way to the king's royal highway? But they did not recognize him as the king. And even if they did, they had nothing to tell him. You see, they had never traveled on the royal highway and they didn't even know that it existed. Eventually, the king found a wise and understanding person and he asked, do you know the way to the king's royal highway? The wise person surmised that this must be the king. He trembled and he stepped back and then he immediately showed the king the way. For due to his great wisdom, he knew the straight and proper path of the king's highway. He even took to the king to his palace and seated him on the royal throne in his kingdom. This wise man found much grace in the eyes of the king, so the king appointed him above all the ministers of his kingdom and gowned him in precious garments. And as for his old clothes, those the king kept, and he commanded to be stored in the royal treasury. And yet it came to be, after many years had passed, that this wise man committed a serious crime against the king. And the king was infuriated and commanded that the royal court convene to try this man for treason. The wise man, of course, was very troubled because he knew his judgment was not going to be good. It was, after all, treason that he had committed. So he went before the king and he threw himself before him and he pleaded for one last request before his execution. And what is that? The king asked. That is, the wise man answered, that I be permitted to dress once again in my clothes that I wore when we first met. The king agreed to this request, and when he beheld the wise man dressed in those original clothes, he recalled the great kindness that this man had done for him when he had brought him back to his palace and sat him upon the royal throne of his kingdom. King's compassion was stirred. The wise man once again found grace in his eyes. The king acquitted him of his crime and returned him to his royal station. The story teaches us that followers of Jesus, as those who have found the way to the king, as those who have put on the white robes of righteousness, if we are not careful, we will forget our original standing before God. We will forget that we are sinners and yet set free by the blood of Christ and will fall into pride and arrogance and self-promotion and self-centeredness. We are called, therefore, to humbly remember our proper place, our proper place in the order of God's creation. And when we return, when we repent of our sin, Father God's grace and mercy rushes upon us and we are forgiven and restored to our proper place. We are made in the image of God made for fellowship with God, made to live in peace with each other, and made to exist in harmony with our world. It's interesting that in the Jewish scribal writings, 
they say that the creation of man and woman were on Yam Teruah. That it announced something. The height of God's creation. And that when God created man and woman, he created images like himself and therefore gave purpose to the rest of all creation. It's interesting to think through that. It's the words of Isaiah 4, 40, 6 to 8. It's an amazing passage of scripture. It says, a voice says, do what, church? That's what the theme is for the day. Cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. What it teaches us is, is that life here in this world is very brief. James says it's like what? It's a vapor that goes up. It's here today and gone tomorrow. So use your day to bring glory and praise and honor to God, remembering who you are in your humility and asking God for grace and for mercy every day wherewith God abundantly showers that upon us. I have a task for you now for the next 10 days. It may be easy for you or it may be extremely difficult, but I'll, I'll ask you to do it and you determine whether it's something you want to do. For the next 10 days, I want you to commit to an uninterrupted time of silence. And by the way, it's not when you're sleeping. All right? I want you to make this a priority, whether it's five minutes, whether it's 50 minutes, whether it's a half day of prayer. I want you to come to God with the discipline of silence. What does that mean? It means you don't go in with your grocery list. It means you show up with your Bible and a pad of paper for two reasons. The the pad of paper is A, to get the stuff out of your head. Because the moment you sit and you're quiet, you're remembering your schedule. You're remembering what you have to do today. You remember the phone call that you have to make today. You're remembering the thing you forgot yesterday. You need to get that out of your head. Write it down on the paper. Because you don't want to forget it again. All right? Write it down. Put it on your paper. Put it to the side. And then have another blank sheet where you're just now quiet before the Lord. And all you're asking the Lord to say is this. Lord, just speak to me. Just speak to me. You remember little, little Samuel and Eli? Do you remember that story when he was a little boy? He was asleep on the mat and the Lord called to him and he thought it was Eli. He ran in, woke Eli up and said, what do you want? He says, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. The Lord called again, same scenario. Eli now getting a hint. This is a divine call. He said to little Samuel, when the Lord calls again, just say this, speak, deber, for your servant is listening, deber shoma'a, speak, your servant's listening, I just want to hear you today, that's all I want, don't let my thoughts get in the way, Lord, 
Don't get my, let my desires, I just need you to talk to me about what's going on in me. How about that? Yes? All right, I'm going to have you stand. We're going to read a passage of scripture together as we close. Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Can you read this with me together? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, that's our prayer.